Well, good morning, y'all. Uh, we are in a series creatively entitled Race, Religion, Politics, and Jesus, where we just decided to take everything on in one series. And uh, the thesis statement for this series is a very simple verse found in the Old Testament book of Micah, uh, Micah chapter 6, and it says, what does the Lord require of you? Right? I mean, it's a question we ask ourselves all the time. What does God want from me? And he says really simply three things. To seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Last week we talked about what it means to walk humbly, and this week I want to talk about a biblical understanding of what it means to seek justice. What does that look like? Social justice, which is what the Bible is speaking of, is to strive for the equal rights, opportunities, and treatments for all people. Sounds pretty simple, right? Sounds like something that we can all agree on and get behind. The equal treatment of all people. The problem is, like so many other issues, social justice has become so politicized that nothing gets done. Because both parties are so dug in with their different points of view of what it means to administer social justice in America. And so issues like welfare and health care and affordable housing and job inequality, they all get argued and debated all the time in political debates and are made the platforms on which candidates run. Republicans believe that Democrats are bleeding hearts and giving away the store to the poor of America and further enabling them to stay stuck in their poverty with their free handouts. And Democrats believe that Republicans cater to the rich, completely calloused and turning their backs on the poor and just want to line the pockets of the wealthy. So what's true? Which one is right? Neither of them? Both of them? I would say I just don't care. The truth is that social justice is not a political issue. It's a biblical one. It's a Christian one. And it's not a question of which party is right and which one is wrong, like they're going to do something about social justice because what happens at the end of the day is that neither one of them are willing to cross party lines long enough so that they can create any kind of meaningful change, and so nothing ever gets done. So here's the real question. What are you going to do about it? What am I? I don't know about you, but the Bible doesn't scream out and say, you politicians, you need to create policies regarding social justice and get those voted on in Congress. And and solve everything through your policy decisions. It doesn't say any of that. What my Bible says over and over and over again is that you and I are the ones that God is calling on to seek social justice. And so let's take the politics out of it and ask what is it that God wants from me? In the Old Testament book of Amos, God says, Don't come at me with your religious gatherings and your idle prayers and sacrifices. But instead, what God wants of us 
is to let justice roll on like a river and righteousness run like a never-ending stream. In other words, God says, I don't want just a bunch of religious talk. I want action. I want you to bring so much social justice into the world that it will roll on like a mighty river for generations to come because of the work that you have done and put into it. When you seek social justice, you are making a difference in the lives of your brothers and sisters in the world who are broken and struggling and would otherwise be defeated if it was not for what you have done in seeking justice. So um, one of the books that influenced my life the most was one that I um, actually read in college, uh, one of the few. <laughs> uh, it was called uh, How Should We Then Live? It was by Francis Schaeffer. And the thesis of the book was pretty simple. Um, most Americans have two main values that we cherish above all others. Personal peace and affluence. In other words, most of us want to be just left alone to live our life that we want to live in peace and liberty while at the same time being able to grow in prosperity. And so these values have over time created a culture of people who don't really care about the person across the world or even across the street for that matter. As long as I am not disrupted from living the life of peace and prosperity that I want to live. The problem is that, that we adopt these values and when we do we become detached from what's really going on in the world. One of the consequences of COVID is that this has become even more exaggerated during this pandemic because we become even more isolated, we become even more influenced by the news and the media that is perpetrating this idea of, of fear that everybody is projecting on people. And it's creating this kind of protectionist culture with a bunker mentality where we make a decision, either conscious or unconscious, where we decide that we're going to take care of me and mine. And that's all that matters. And we forget about everybody else because I have to take care of us first. But when we look at the Bible and what it's calling us to do as we seek justice, it's calling us to lay down our right to personal peace and prosperity, to disrupt that, and instead roll up our sleeves, go to work, and pursue social justice in everything that we do. Not just like as a little side hobby, but that social justice goes through everything, permeates every aspect of our lives. And I want to be really clear about what that means. And so as as I read the Bible, I think that there are three very clear understandings of what social justice is um, in the Bible. And the first one is that social justice means that we treat everyone equally with respect and dignity. From the beginning of creation, the Bible is very clear about God's intentions that 
all people are created equally. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to deal pretty heavily on the issue of race. And both the Old and the New Testament reaffirm the truth that prejudice has no place in the life of a Christian. God never intended for his people to treat other people differently because of their race or gender or economic status. We are commanded to love each other and to be a light in a dark world that is otherwise filled with anger and hate and bigotry. In James chapter 2, James says, My fellow believers in Jesus, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in too. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and you say, hey, here's a good seat for you. Come sit by me. Or to the poor man, you say, hey, why don't you go stand over there where you're out of the way or you sit here on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Very clear about that. So one aspect of social justice is that we are to treat everyone with respect and dignity, which is one of the core values that we have here at Westridge as well. As many of you know, my wife and I have um, a home in Nicaragua, and we head up a Westridge ministry called Nika Angels, where the focus is on education, clean water, and sustainable economic development. And in an effort, in an effort to create jobs, we have several local Nicaraguans who are on staff as part of the foundation who work with us down there, including a small group of guys who do construction And they do work not only on the job sites, but they also supervise our volunteers that go down as they work on our projects. And by the way, just as an aside, we have set that ministry up so that that work continues to go on even if we're not there. So they've been working on schools and drilling wells and all of that continues to go on even in the midst of COVID. Um, So anyway, I wanted to uh, have a meeting, a construction meeting, and talk about one of the upcoming projects. So I had them over to our home. And so I had them over for breakfast to talk about the newest project. And so as they came in the house and everybody took their seat around the table, one of the guys said that the three of them had worked on our house and they helped to build it for the previous owner. But they have never, ever been invited into the home to actually see the house. And he said that's the first time he's seen the final product. And he said, that he was very proud of how it turned out. And I said, you should be proud because it's a beautiful home. And he went on to say that people, such as myself, don't invite people like him, workers, people who are poor, into their homes. He said it's not something that's done. And he was surprised that I had invited them over. I saw this as an opportunity to reinforce one of our core values which is to treat everybody with dignity and respect. And I just said, look, at the end of the day, as far as I can tell, it doesn't matter what color my skin is or isn't or how much money I have or 
don't have or what my passport says, at the end of the day, we all end up in the same pine box six feet under. And none of that matters. He looked shocked, and he couldn't believe what I had just said. And I said, look, I, I grew up with nothing, but the difference is that I was born in the right country at the right time, I caught a whole lot of breaks by a whole lot of people, and I said, sure, I worked hard to build my company um, to be able to have the, the kind of company and money that I have, but I said, you work equally as hard. You do hard things. You do amazing things, and you're working in the hot sun, and quite frankly, we couldn't do any of this without you. And you could tell that he was really impacted, and he said that he had never, ever been treated with that kind of respect, and he was really grateful. And with that, I was shocked. And I have to tell you that that conversation really opened my eyes to the reality that discrimination is alive and well. And we can try to deny it all we want. But the truth is, people still judge other people based on race and through the lens of the have and the have-nots, and most people are typically looking down on the have-nots. And whether it's their skin color or different culture or different economic status, but social justice is not just helping the least of these so that we can feel better about ourselves. Social justice is lifting the least of these up above you, putting yourself below them to serve them, and give them the kind of respect and dignity, making sure that they feel loved and honored and understanding. You know what? You are my brothers and sisters. We are all in the same boat. We are all children of God, just struggling through this life together. The second aspect of social justice that God calls us to is helping to empower the powerless giving a voice to those who can't speak for themselves. That line actually comes right out of the Bible. It comes right out of Proverbs 31. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. In my opinion, this starts on the playground of our schools. When we teach our children to stand up for kids who are being bullied, who are being made fun of, to teach our children to walk by them, to stand by them, and to be an advocate for them when other kids are picking on them. That's where it starts. That's where it starts getting instilled inside of our DNA. The greatest example of this is in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. There is this woman who was caught in adultery. And the law at that time discriminated heavily against women. Women were looked upon as nothing, as being able to cast them aside. And if a woman was caught in adultery, she should be punished by a group of people picking up rocks and stoning her to death. Not the man, just the woman. And so these religious leaders, of all people, are standing there looking down on her in judgment ready to stone her to death. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands between her and her accusers. And he looks at them all and he just simply says, 
Let anyone who has not sinned, you should be the one to throw the first rock. And without exception, every single one of them dropped their rock and walked away. And when it was just down to her and Jesus, he looks at her and he says, has anyone condemned you? No one, sir. And neither do I condemn you. Go in peace. In that moment, he was a voice for someone who could not speak for herself. He was an advocate for someone who was discriminated against and cast aside. When opportunities present itself, are we willing to stand up and stand beside someone who cannot speak for themselves? To be an advocate for people who cannot advocate for themselves, people who are discriminated against, people who are bullied, people who aren't strong enough to stick up for themselves, is there someone in your life right now that you can empower by advocating on their behalf. It'll change their life forever. The third aspect of social justice that God calls us to is to live with radical generosity. Also in James chapter 2, James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, hey, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing to help them or give anything to help them in their physical needs, then what good is it? Because all you're doing is you're declaring your right for your personal peace and prosperity. In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action. It's dead. This passage is pretty sobering. And it's clear that seeking social justice is not just for those do-gooders who want to help people. It's not just for those other people and it doesn't really apply to me. This passage makes it very clear and we skirt around this issue sometimes and we don't hit it straight on, but here's the truth. If we are not living our lives in a way that we are generous with our money, our time, and our resources to make a difference in the lives of other people, then our faith is dead. Faith is not about believing in God. Faith is when we believe in God, it empowers us to go out and seek justice. Part of the problem, I think, is that we believe in empowerment versus enablement, and I do too, I feel very strongly about that. In other words, we want to give somebody a hand up and not a hand out, right? We want to make sure that we don't enable somebody to stay stuck in the victim position to the point that they are never empowered to get up on their own two feet, to rise above their circumstance, and to live the life that God has for them, which I think is the goal of social justice. The problem is this. We become so immobilized by the fear of enabling somebody Or we spend so much time trying to judge whether that person is deserving of my help or not that we never do nothing. Which is also the wrong thing to do. I just had this situation a couple weeks ago. 
I had this single mom who used to work on one of my job sites call me and tell me that she lost her job because of the pandemic and she needed financial help. So I quickly pick up the phone and I call in a couple favors and I get her a job. I call her pretty excited because she could start the next day and they'll start paying her right away so that she can start bringing in some income and start catching up again. To which she replied, thanks but no thanks. And she gave me several reasons why this job wasn't going to work out for her. Truth is, my guess is, that maybe she was just looking for a handout and not the solution. Now, how do I respond to that? Do I say, well, that's the last time that I'm going to stick my neck out for somebody. This is how it always happens when you help somebody. They don't appreciate it and it gets pushed aside, right? And make it all about me. No. The Bible says over and over and over again that we do it again and we do it again and we do it again and we do it again. The book of Job in the Old Testament says we don't have the luxury of doing nothing. In Job he says, if I have kept my bread to myself, I love that line, if I have kept my bread to myself, if I have not shared my food with orphans or the impoverished, if I have seen somebody in need of clothes or a homeless person or the needy needing blankets or, 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 or warmth and I have not helped them, then let me suffer here on this earth because what I dread more is the judgment of God that I have not done enough. If that doesn't make it clear about what God's expectations of us when we're standing there on judgment day, I don't know what does. The other side of the coin of helping people happened to me, I think within days of that event. I, it was a beautiful day in downtown Chicago, and I was in between meetings, and so I decided to walk several blocks out to a Dunkin' Donuts to get a cup of coffee so I could survive the next meeting. And as I was walking back, I see this line of people, and I look, and it's a Salvation Army. And um, I don't know what they were standing in line for. My guess was food. But as I start walking closer, I begin to focus in on this older gentleman who was using a walker. And for whatever reason, I decide that I'm going to give him money. And he wasn't asking for money. I just decided that and felt led to give it to him. And so I happen to have a $100 bill in my pocket. And as I'm reaching for it, I hesitated for just a split second. And in my head, I'm going, well, that's a lot of money to give you a handout like that, isn't it? And to which a voice in my head replied, hey, you cheapskate, give him the frickin' money. So as I'm walking by, and I, without even like stopping, I just, and without saying anything, I just slip the money into his hand, and I just keep walking. And at first, I hear him kind of surprised and say, oh, well, thank you. And he must have then opened up that bill to see how much it was because I hear him say, what? And he yelled at me. He said, sir, sir. And I turn around as I'm still walking and he just does this. He says, you have no idea. And he takes that fist that he clenched around that money, he puts it over his heart and he just mouths the words, thank you. Thank you. I kept walking. And as I continued to walk away from him, I could just start hearing him 
yell behind me, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I got to tell you, I got a little choked up. A simple act of radical generosity made a difference in the life of that man today that I have no idea about. He had no idea who I was, but I love the fact that he just kept thanking Jesus. Because in that moment, I was Jesus to that man. Jesus doesn't want our great religious talks or gatherings or superficiality. He's asking us for action. He's asking us to make our lives matter and seek justice for those who have become disempowered. For those who have been beaten down and crushed by this world. That we would stand by their side. And we would seek justice for them and we would stand with them so that justice can roll on like a river. And when that happens, in that moment, we are Jesus for those people. So I just want to be really clear. Social justice is when we treat everyone equally with dignity and respect. We become the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. And we live a life of radical generosity, living out an active faith. That is what God requires of us when he says, seek justice. Look, as much as we love the idea of personal peace and prosperity, and I love being able to sit on my back porch in my rocking chair and have a great glass of wine, But if that's all of our life was, at the end, what do we have? What's been like the point of it? If we decide never to help anyone because it's not fair, or that we don't want to help somebody because we don't believe that they really deserve our help, that they're taking advantage of us, I would just say this. God's grace ain't fair. And while we were still a bunch of messed up sinners, Jesus died for us, even though we didn't deserve it. And now he asks us to do the same, to seek justice and to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus in everything that we do.